Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark with Charles W. Chuck Bryant and Jerome Rowland. Jerry. Mm-hmm. That's J-E-R-I. Yeah, for those who don't know. I don't think we've ever said that, and we get many, many variations. Yeah, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling to me that some people get it right. And Jerry's a lady. <laughs> yes, she is. We might as well just go ahead and, you know, get that out there. I, I don't think know if most people, people that. knew that, right? Most people. But sure. New listeners, our producers, J-E-R-I, the lady. <laughs> oh, nice. That's a t-shirt right there. <laughs> yep. Uh, okay, well, we have that settled officially. If anybody ever asks, we can just send them the link to the Spanish Inquisition episode. <laughs> yeah. I've been singing the History of the World Part 1 song all day. Yeah, I was going to ask, how, how shall we start this? With with the song or with the Nobody Expects the Spanish Inquisition? Uh, so either Mel Brooks or Monty Python? Yeah. Well, they're both great. Should we, you do one and I'll do the other at the same time? The Inquisition. No one expects <laughs> the Spanish Inquisition. I watched that bit again today. I did too, and I was like, that's good. It got me. D- oh, did it? I LOL'd. Wow. Yeah. Flying Circus, one of the great sketch shows of all time, I think. I'm curious, Chuck, what percentage of LOLs do you think are actually symbolic of a real laugh out loud? Like when people say that? Even if it's a chuckle. Yeah. I don't know. I never say LOL, though. I always say, ha! Like, oh, I've like Kerbopple. I've seen you type ha! LOL. No. I have, too. Dude, I've never typed LOL. That is not true. Or any internet shorthand. That's not true. It's is so true. Find the documentation. Sir. I will. Okay. I'm going to find it. I didn't expect the third degree. Nobody expects <laughs> the third degree. That's what my family said. We said the third degree, not the Spanish Inquisition. Third degree. Uh, my family just left everybody alone. That must be we nice. We left one another alone. <laughs> Uh, so Chuck. Yes. You've heard of the Spanish Inquisition, obviously. I have, sir. Are you, were you familiar with the, the actual thing? Like beyond the 70s, the 1970s? No. With Monty Python and Mel Brooks? No, I didn't know a whole lot about it. It was, this one was a delight to learn. Yeah. It was one of those things in history where you realize, I mean, it has it all, frankly. Mm-hmm. There was more to it than just what we thought. Sure. And it's, uh, possibly misunderstood. Yeah, there's a lot of controversy surrounding how uh, deep it went and how bloody it got. Yeah, and uh, a lot of people are still duking it out. Yeah, and that's a that's it. It makes sense. Pope John Paul put it very well when he said, and I'm paraphrasing here, mm-hmm. that um, <laughs> like yes, the Inquisition happened. Yes, it was super messed up. But let's find out exactly how messed up it is, yeah. so the church can be fully penitent. Uh, under um, being fully informed. Right. But he wasn't saying, like, stop making such a big deal about the Inquisition every Because sure. it was a big deal because it was using um, a, a court system, pretty much a perverted court system. Yeah. And not the kind that's, like, you know, Rusty and Eugene, like, perverted meaning, <laughs> like, twisted and grotesque. Yeah. Um, to root people out. Based on the idea that they they weren't pious enough or pious in the right ways, yeah, and even that was disingenuous because ultimately it was used to consolidate power. Yeah, and I saw other uh, remarks from historians that 
even more ultimately, perhaps, it was a way to get money. Yeah. So power and money, I think. So the whole thing's just disgusting at its core. Sure. And it's a real blemish on the history of both the church and Europe. Yeah. Um, but it did happen. But it's also possible that just how bad it was, like you're saying, was, was exaggerated right. over the years. So let's talk about this. We're talking specifically about the Spanish Inquisition, but you can't really just talk about the Spanish Inquisition. It didn't happen in a vacuum. No. It was part of a larger thing, This the Inquisition in general, yeah. um, which is basically a court system where the court is actually responsible for trying you rather yeah. than being an impartial spectator uh, referee. Yeah, it's called a tribunal. Basically, there's no jury. It's the judge decides whether you're guilty or not and what your fate will be. Right. Which is kind of uneasy for the person who's being tried. Yeah. You got one. Well, I think maybe a couple of inquisitors might have been at work at times, but it definitely wasn't like a jury system by any means. Not at all. Um, There were also some other uh, characteristics of an inquisition. Yeah. You were not allowed to know who was accusing you. And anyone could accuse you. You had to testify yeah. whether you wanted to or not. Without any help. Yeah, and like you said, anybody could accuse you. Other Criminals could accuse you, family members, other other heretics. Yeah. And that was the whole point of this, was to root out heretics, people who um, were, who held beliefs that flew in the face of church, church orthodoxy. Yeah, and I think we should get into this a little bit because there's a broad definition of heretic, like what they could actually ring people up for was vast, you know? Yeah. It wasn't like uh, you're you're anti-Catholic or you're a non-Christian atheist. Like most of these people were either converts to Catholicism, uh-huh. you know, forced converts, yeah, like Jews or Muslims, or... Uh, you know, it could have been anything from bigamy to, quote, superstitions was one of the things. Yeah, there are a lot of witches who were rooted out during uh, this time. Solicitation. And this is all, by the way, from the archive. Um, they eventually um, opened up the secret archives. The Catholic Church did about all this. Yeah, and that's capitalized, by the way. Secret archives. Yeah, it's a, real, it's a title. Yeah. Um, and so they actually had percentages of the of what people were, were brought in for. And like I said, most of them was because you were a different faith. But one of them was a miscellaneous, like two <laughs> yeah. or 3,000 people. Wow. Uh, Freemasonry, sodomy, bigamy, superstitions. Basically anything that they could cook up that they wanted to cook up. Okay, so let's... If, if they wanted to. And that was heresy. And that, that was, was the umbrella heretic. crime that yeah. was being investigated by the Inquisitions. Yeah, supposedly you had to be... Um, you, you had to be teaching these beliefs to, to other people, not just simply like a quiet believer of these uh, heretic things. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had to be doing it of your own free will and like not be uh, like if you were uh, under the influence of Satan. Right. And you had to um, still hold this belief publicly uh, even after being corrected even after it's pointed out that uh, what you what you believe is heresy so you want to correct yourself yeah so if you didn't correct if you didn't auto correct then uh, yeah you're right so let's take it back um, a little further ba- back in the day uh, Christians were very much persecuted and were uh, thrown to the lions 
and were um, there's a, they, they were they were very much mistreated. Sure. And apparently, they kind of took that in a lot the same way that um, maybe uh, Pipsqueak, who's bullied, <laughs> and then bulks up over time. The ninety-pound weakling. Yeah. yeah, would treat being bullied. Uh huh. Um, the Christians did much the same thing. Either that, or they had a very short memory because um, after Constantine the Great converted to Christianity, he was the, the Roman emperor. Yeah. Um, all of a sudden, the Church, the Catholic Church started to enjoy a lot of power. Sure. And that power grew and grew and grew. Um, and then all of a sudden there were monarchies all over Europe that were Catholic. They considered themselves Catholic. They associated with the Catholic Church. They were in cahoots with the Pope. Yeah. And they um, they became very powerful. The Church became a very powerful institution. Um, and one of the ways that it decided it was going to spread its power and maintain its power was to squash anything that was outside the purview of Catholic orthodoxy. Yeah. Anything that the Pope said was not kosher, <laughs> was um, not okay, yeah. and was heresy. And uh, this is at the same time, there are a lot of different sects of Christianity, of Catholicism even, yeah. that were starting to, to gain in popularity. So things like the Illuminati came out of this um, era. Yeah. And the Cathars like very spiritual uh, groups that were Christian and identified as Christian, but thought the Pope was corrupt. And the Pope said, we're, we're coming after you guys. Yeah. And this was the first Inquisition. Yeah, there were even uh, persecution of fellow Christians, um, Protestant Christians, Lutheran Christians. Right. So it wasn't necessarily just uh, you're Jew or you're Muslim. No, these were Christians. Yeah. So initially, it wasn't until the Spanish Inquisition that Jews were targeted. It was... Um, during the medieval or papal inquisition, starting I think 1231, under Pope Gregory the uh, Ninth, yes, he issued a, a papal bull that said, uh, "We're going after heretics, and we're going to use uh, inquisitions." Yeah, and that was the start. That's right, 1231, and uh, he picked the uh, what was known as the Dominican Order, uh, which was not Dominican as in Dominican Republic, but founded by Saint Dominic. De Guzman, um, and they were apparently like super smart and really knowledgeable, and they were the people to, I guess, the A team to go about conducting this first inquisition. Right. So this was under King Ferdinand II and Queen Isabella, and it says they were secular rulers. Do you know what that means? Uh, did they not identify as Catholic, or they just that wasn't their? Uh... No, they definitely did. But I think what they were saying was they weren't. It wasn't like the Pope. It oh, was okay. they were like. Oh, okay. They were the head of government. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I gotcha. But they did identify as Catholic, and they just recently united Spain under a Catholic monarchy. Right. And so they were saying we need to make sure everybody else is Catholic. So let's let's start an Inquisition here too. Right. Plus, we can collect some money. Right. If they're found guilty. Take their land, that kind of thing. Uh, so, like I said, Isabella and Ferdinand with Pope Sixtus IV. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like you said, it was to create unity uh, on the surface, but probably was more about power and money and um, kind of just squashing any alter- alternative thought. Right, yeah. I mean, there were, like, if you're consolidating two lands into a single kingdom, 
it's not like flipping a switch, you know, like there's a lot of people who have political ties and alliances yeah, on family, a more local level. Family yeah. alliances. There's like dynasties and clans. And, sure. Um, the, I guess Isabella and Ferdinand said, you know, a really good way to, to unite everybody is under the, the banner of Catholicism. But ultimately it was about them consolidating their power and yeah. breaking up these alliances and, and to gain money because part of the Inquisition was, if you were accused of heresy, and if you were convicted of heresy, the church and the government would take your land yeah. and split it with the person who accused you. So it ultimately became this very powerful political tool and almost a machine that raised a lot of money for Spain. Yeah, uh, we, we talked about Jews and Muslims. They were two of the bigger targets um, as far as it was just a bigoted culture, basically. Jews were put in ghettos or killed. Um, Which is weird because Spain was a very – it grew out of Jews, Christians, and Muslims living together in this area. Yeah. But then under Ferdinand and uh, Isabella, they were – like it was just Catholicism. Yeah, they were officially banished um, with the Alhambra decree in 1492. Mm-hmm. And here's the rub is a lot of these Jews converted to Catholicism, but it wasn't like they were like, oh, cool. Well, you know, that's great. You converted to our religion and that's all well and fine. Right. They called them, uh, pigs, um, Moranos, which is derogatory and said, we think you're probably still really practicing Judaism. Right. Which some of them might have been. So yeah, it was like the, suddenly the power establishment was, was Catholic. Yeah. And there were a lot of Jews who converted or they were called conversos too, which was, I think, kind of a neutral term for them. But they were converted Catholics. And yes, there is a great deal of suspicion that they were Jewish in everything but name. Right. And that they just converted. To avoid persecution. Not even necessarily at first to avoid persecution, but just to, to be able to gain power. Right. Because the power establishment was Catholic, so I'll just go become Catholic too. And I'm still really Jewish, but I can hang out and have communion with you guys. Right. Who are running the show. And so it was the suspicion that there were what are called crypto-Jews running around in Spain that initiated the first inqui- or the Spanish Inquisition. Yeah, and I guess the same is true of the Muslim Moors. Um, they would convert to Catholicism, and that still didn't really count. Right. They were known as uh, Moriscos, uh, which is Moorish. Yeah. And it was basically the same thing as the Jewish community. They were still targets, even though they converted. And... Uh, like I said, it went all the way over to Protestants and fellow Christians. Right. So it was anything not Catholic. Right. Basically. And not even, not just not Catholic, but not Orthodox Catholic. Yeah, and like, it wasn't just in Europe either. It, it was, it happened in the New World in Mexico. Basically anywhere Spain was setting up shop, there could be a mobile Inquisition unit. Right. So like, that was one of the even more despicable aspects of the Inquisition was that they would go conquer a land and then set up an Inquisition to root out the non-Catholics in a land that was, there were no Catholics. So like when Spain took over Granada, um, it was Moorish, it was Muslim. Yeah. They set up the, the, um, Inquisition there. Or the Portuguese also had an Inquisition and when they went to India, they set up the Goa in- Inquisition and rooted out Hindus. Well, it's like, of course there's Hindus here. You guys came from over there to the land of Hindus. Yeah. Yes, there's going to be Hindus <laughs> here. Like, this is this is awful. Yeah. But, yeah, they also did it in Mexico and other places, too. Uh, yeah, and like we said, this isn't the only Inquisition. There was one in uh, Portugal. Uh, there was the Roman Inquisition in the 1540s. 
Uh, that's where Galileo was, was mm-hmm. famously, uh, uh, I guess, tried. Yeah, and he was under house arrest. Yeah, but he he apparently his um his arrest and his trial was more just like a, it just flew in the face of science. Yeah, the way he was treated apparently wasn't so bad. Like he had a pension from the Pope and yeah, I thought he was lived killed fairly fine. No, he, he died of natural causes. Yeah, yeah, but he was under house arrest, but he was. He, he wasn't hurting, right? Apparently, <laughs> it was more just like the fact that the that there was a a trial, right, right, of science by Catholicism, right? You know, it's, it yeah. doesn't get more literal than that. Exactly. So, uh, like like you're saying, it's it's exported everywhere. Yeah. But let's let's get into the trials in a minute, right after these messages. Okay, welcome back. You want to talk about the trials, Chuck? Yeah, we mentioned earlier that you could uh, be accused by anyone anonymously. Uh, you didn't have the assistance of a lawyer. Um, you weren't necessarily even informed of your charges. And you had to testify on your own behalf you know, like you were forced to, basically. Yeah. And on top of that, you didn't rarely have anyone coming to your defense. Oh, yeah. Because you would probably also be rung up as a heretic. The, so you're the, kind of on your own. The witnesses. Yeah. Uh, their defense. Yeah. Be like, like, I've got well, a, char- a character witness here. Yeah. And the guy's going, nope. Right. Not me. Yeah. I probably did see him flying around on a broom. Who knows? And <laughs> I didn't see anything about this, but it said that fellow heretics could rat out other ones. But I wonder if there was a a system of leniency if you sold people down the river. I think there definitely was. There so, was. so let's. This is how it happened, from what I understand. Um, there would be news that that the parish priest would get that the um, Inquisition was coming, and some inquisitors would come. And I couldn't believe it, but this article failed to mention Tomas de Torquemada, the yeah. Grand Inquisitor. Like he's not. His name doesn't appear in this article. It's in, it's yeah. crazy. But for a, a while, Torquemada took over. From I think um, 1483 to 1498, and is he just like the chief of the Supreme Court? He's the head guy. Okay, and he is um, extremely vilified in history. He was um, a very hated man, yeah, because he was the face of the Inquisition of all this torture and and burning at the stake and rooting people out and just a, a literal witch hunt. Yeah, um, but so. He's also somewhat defended by history a little bit, too. Apparently, prior in the two years after the Spanish Inquisition started and when he took over in 1483, those two years were very bloody. Yeah. There was a lot of torture. There were basically no rules. Torquemada came in and established rules. So there were things like you can't torture anybody for longer than 15 minutes. A doctor has to be present during torture. If yeah. the doctor says, call it off, you have to stop. True, but also, if you did do this stuff, you can also get a, get off pretty easily. Right. Like, if you did torture and you weren't supposed to, it's really not that big of a deal. Like, no one's going to do anything to you. Well, you could do torture because in 12... Uh, I can't remember, maybe 1283? Well, one of the popes issued another papal bull saying, in addition to being able to do an inquisition... You can torture too. That was Pope Innocent the Fourth in twelve fifty two. Very appropriate. Yeah. So you could torture somebody under the auspices of the church, but you weren't supposed to like mangle them or something like that. But yes, there wasn't any punishment for these inquisitors. Right. But Torquemada is the face of the of the Inquisition. Um 
But there, there are some people who say, well, he kind of brought a little bit of order to it, if you, if you can look at it like that. Yeah, and other people say he may have even saved people from, you know, uh, gang violence of people basically just running into your house and burning you at the stake. Right, or from the state, because um, there were apparently some just common criminals who, upon being captured, would blaspheme, and then they would be tried by the Inquisition, yeah. which is apparently a little more lenient and forgiving, because, consider this, Chuck, this was, is as gross as it is, as dark, as despicable as this whole, the, the Inquisition was, yeah. it was still, at its core, a religious exercise. Yeah. And the whole point, from the Inquisitor on down, especially these people who are true believers, the whole point was to extract a confession and save the heretic's soul. Yeah, it was all about the confession. You couldn't just uh, pronounce someone guilty. It was uh, it was pulled out of them by any means necessary, basically. And not only that, you had to confess twice. You had to, if you confessed under torture, mm-hmm. you had to further confess under you know normal light of day that what you said was in fact true. Right. So the the inquisitors would come to town. They would set up shop. They would establish. They would say mass. They would tell everybody what was going on. That they were here for an inquisition? Yeah, and they give them a chance right then. Yeah, there's a 40-day grace period. Yeah, and say, you can confess your heresy right here, and you won't be tortured, you won't be punished. Um, you might have to do some penance, of course, but uh, you can escape torture for sure. Yeah. And you have to denounce other heretics. Right. So that was sort of the McCarthyism. If you name names, right. then we'll go easy on you. And so apparently some parish priests would find out that the inquisition was coming and would gather their flock and say, everybody... Keep your mouths shut. Right. These guys will leave eventually. Just shut up. Yeah. And a lot of times these were just like country peasants who had, like they knew that they loved Jesus and the Pope was in charge of them. But yeah. they also knew that they like needed to get back to their donkey because they hadn't fed it that day and they needed to <laughs> plow the fields later that afternoon. Right. These weren't like sophisticated people. No. And these were the the most educated, scholarly people on the planet at the time the coming to their town. Yes, coming to their town yeah. and interrogating these peasants as to like the nuances of Catholic orthodoxy. Yeah, there were leading questions. They would confuse them. They would get them rattled. Mm-hmm. Uh, all just in the name of, I guess, taking land and money and assuming power. Right. And that was another thing, too, that I think we didn't mention. Um, the Jews in Spain, prior to the consolidation of Spain into Spain, were this was the merchant class. They they were um, while there were plenty of peasants who were un- uneducated. Yeah, there were also a lot of Jews who were very much educated. Yeah, who were wealthy. So they did make even more desirable targets under that um, that viewpoint that this was all about money and right. power and land. Yeah, like what better group to target than the wealthy middle class? Right, and they did. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. Thanks, man. So, uh, uh, where were we? They weren't clever. They were being, uh, confused, basically. And. Depending on where you were. Like, this yeah, is, a, yeah. this is a country parish that we're talking about right now. Yeah, bumpkins. Euro- <laughs> European bumpkins. Right. They wear, like, saucepans on their heads for hats <laughs> and overalls with no shirts underneath. Um, so, the other thing is, is they would be, uh, they were imprisoned until they got a confession. So it's not like they, if they didn't get a confession, eventually they would just let them go and shun them. 
they they would hold on to them until they confessed, basically. Right. Like that was the only way to get out. And, and if you died in prison, um, T.S. You, you, well, your bones would be you'd be buried, but then your bones would be dug up and cremated and basically scattered. Right. Like as an insult after death. And little known fact, but in the 19th century. Somebody did this to Torquemada's remains. Oh, really? They dug him up and incinerated what was left of him and like scattered his ashes. Which, huh. I mean, if you're a if you're high up in the Dominican order, yeah, and somebody did that to your bones, yeah, it's an enormous spiritual stab in the neck. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, okay, so we have been uh, had the the bull, the decree of torture issued, and. So there were, you know, we've covered this in medieval torture devices, a lot of it, but they would do various things, uh, to extract whatever information they wanted. One was called the strapado. And that was, um, and this didn't sound too bad to me at first. It, what? Well, hold on. Let me explain. So at first I read this as, uh, your hands, you were hung basically by your arms above your head, which is pretty bad in and of itself. Well, I mean, that and the rack both sound like, early chiropractic care in a way, like it could really work some things out in the lower back. Yeah. But then I realized that your hands were tied behind your back and then you were hung from those hands. Uh-huh. That's a way different thing than just being hung from your hands. Yeah, because you, the chances of your your uh, arms coming out of your sockets yeah, were pretty good. very high. And there were also additions to this torture that could be um, added, like heavy weights to your legs. Sure. You could be jerked downward. Yeah, instead of just hanging there. Yeah, um, just to to really kind of help that dislocation along. Yeah, and make the strapado even more excruciating. They they might um, burn you with hot pokers while you were hanging there. Oh yeah, little um, thumb screw action. Yep, heavy boots. Yeah, the boot. You didn't want that. You didn't want the boot. Uh, we talked about the rack, um, which was when you know your hands and feet are tied and you're on these rollers and. A metal frame, and they basically just turn those rollers and give you a good stretch, meaning your your limbs would come out of socket. And if they did it too much, they might come completely away from your body. You know what's crazy? I heard or I read that there is a there's something going on with a certain species of starfish right now uh-huh. that are they appear to be committing suicide. Oh no! They're getting some sort of infection, and to kill themselves, they their arms crawl in different directions until the middle is ripped apart and they wow. just eviscerate themselves. That's awful. But that's going on right now and no one has any idea what the heck's going on with these starfish huh. or why they're getting this mysterious infection and then no one knew that starfish committed suicide. And the fact that they know this is pretty remarkable too, that somebody's studying starfish that closely that they have realized this is going on. Well, you're probably watching the first starfish the first time you're like, well, that starfish is really confused. How cute. Oh, my God. And then another one does it, and another one, you're like, we've got a problem. I need to go write a, a paper. Uh, nothing's funny about that. I love starfish. I don't know why I'm laughing. So, like you pointed out earlier, mutilation was prohibited, supposedly, during the torture. Uh-huh. But um, Alexander the Fourth also decreed that you could clear anyone from wrongdoing, like we pointed out. So it's... Even you're not going to go up on a tribunal for torturing someone as an inquisitor. No, that's not going to happen. I didn't see anything anywhere in the research where any inquisitor ever got in trouble for anything that was done during the Spanish Inquisition. 
I don't, I don't know. It may have happened. Yeah, sure. But I didn't see anything. So, so, so let's recount real quick. Chuck. Yeah. The, the Inquisition comes to town. It's made up of some inquisitors, their secretaries, their staff. And a banjo player. They, they set up shop. Uh huh. And, um, there's a 40 day grace period where they're just hanging out. Anybody who wants to come confess can confess and be forgiven. I bet that was scary though. Like, you don't want to be the first guy to trust that. Yeah. Like, come on and confess. And the people are like, you, you go do it. Right. I'm and sure you, it'll be fine. Right. <laughs> well, apparently, like, you would wear, like, a yellow cross on your clothes, much like a scarlet letter for a while as part of your penance. A there was, Benito, yeah. there was, there, you were forgiven. And even after the grace period, if you were, if you confessed under torture, and then they made you confess again without being under torture, and they took it as a genuine one, yeah. you were forgiven. Well, penance could be rough, though. It could be, but it could also not be. Yeah, but it like. It depends on the, it was on, it was on the case and it was left up to the inquisitors to use their judgment. True, but some of the, some of the, uh, penance included like taking all your land, like we said, paying additional fines of money you right. didn't have. Right. Uh, hard labor for the rest of your life. Um, sometimes you were exiled completely. Yeah. From your county or from your country. Yeah. So you've got all of this is going on in a little town. Yeah. On the countryside, not necessarily a little town like Bologna, um, Toledo, they saw some, some pretty heavy action and these weren't necessarily backwater bergs. Yeah. You know? Um, but the, the Inquisition would come to town, set up a grace period, then the accusations would start to fly, there'd be torture, there'd be confessions, and then there was what are called the autos de fe. And an auto de fe was a, a, a religious ritual filled with a lot of pomp and cer- circumstance. Yeah. Where the accused and convicted uh, would walk around town in a big procession. Yeah, they'd have mass, of course. Of course. They had mass all the time. Sure. Um, and, like, everybody would come out for it. It was a huge thing, very much like a public execution yeah. in the United States or in, in other parts of Europe. But the huge difference was there was never an execution in an auto de fe. Right. It was a religious ceremony. And they wouldn't, it wouldn't have ended in an execution, even if the people who were in the procession who had been convicted had been sentenced to death. Yeah. It wouldn't take place during an auto de fe. It would take place separately. And in most cases, the inquisitors gave that person over to the secular authorities to carry out the execution. Yeah. They didn't execute folks themselves. Um, although they could just abandon you is, is one way to look at it where they would just say, kind of say he's a heretic. Turn them over to the public, right. and that's where, like, you would get burned at the stake. Yes. Uh, especially if you were a repeat offender. Like, you generally weren't forgiven for that. Right. If you messed up more than once. And we talked before, I don't remember what it was in, but burning at the stake, we came across some documentation of what it would, like, it, it took, like, 30 minutes to die from it at the yeah. earliest, up to a couple hours, depending on if the wind was blowing too much. Like, that would be a horrible, horrible way to go. Yeah. Was it worse ways to die? No, it was more recent than that. Was it? I don't remember yeah, that what was it was. One. But uh, we'll get to uh, the fallout from all of this stuff because you can't you can't do this to people and not expect there to be a fallout over the course of history. Sure. And the Inquisition wasn't just from the 1481 to 1492 when the um, the decree of Alhambra was issued. 
Like, it kept going on until the 19th century. Yeah, 1834 was when the last one in Spain occurred. There was a school teacher who was put to death in 1826 because he taught deism to his class. Wow. That's the 19th century. 1826 yeah. isn't, like, that's not the 15th century. That's no. the 19th century. No, it's not that long ago in the grand scheme of things, you know? Yeah, and in 1858, there's a very famous case of a kid named Edgardo uh, Mortara. And he was a Jewish kid raised in a Jewish family who was dying of a fever when he was like seven or something like that. And one of the domestic servants did an emergency baptism on the kid. The church found out about it, came and took him from his family and raised him as a Catholic. Wow. When was that? Uh, 1858. Holy cow. Yeah. So that was even after the last Inquisition, supposedly. Uh, when was the... when? when 1834. Yes, so here's the thing. The Spain said no more Inquisition in 1834. The Catholic Church still actually has something called the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith. Yeah, they renamed it in the 60s. Yeah, the 1960s. Yeah, so it's still, I mean, there's still the, the concept of the Inquisition as part of the Holy See, which is the Pope's power. Yeah, but obviously nothing like this is going on No, these days. Uh, so since the aftermath of the Inquisition is pretty controversial because... Beginning in the 1500s with the Protestant Reformation, you had a lot of uh, anti-Catholic and anti-Spanish sentiment. And a lot of people from the Catholic side these days are saying it was so exaggerated in the aftermath that a very small percentage, when we look in our secret archives and our statistics, uh, were actually killed. Um, I think it was what, like 0.1%? So I saw, supposedly. I saw something different. I saw um, 1%. Of the 125,000 trials in Spain, Italy, and Portugal. And here's the thing, man. I looked at like three or four different sets of numbers, and they're all way different. So you're never going to – we're never going to know actual like solid numbers because no. if you are anti-Catholic, you probably have your one set of numbers. And if you're pro-Catholic, you have your set of numbers. Right. You know what I'm saying? But the, these numbers, the 1% of the 125,000 trials um, – that was that's based on that secret archive that the the um, papacy Vatican, yeah that the thank you that the Vatican opened up in 1998 under Pope John Paul II and said you know what you guys come in here you scholars root around and give us a, a full report on the Inquisition and let's see you know what's what and he apologized when he announced that and then he apologized in 2004 yeah. when they issued the report finally. And that's where that 1% of the 125,000 came from. Yeah, and I saw blog uh, opinion pieces from 2004 where some people are like, you, we shouldn't be apologizing for this again. Like it was no, like really inflated numbers and it wasn't as bad as people say. Well, again, that's the, the pro-Catholic uh, side. Yeah. Not pro-Inquisition necessarily, but uh, Catholic defenders, I think. Is a better way to say it. Yeah, I think they're probably also pointing out, like, yeah, this is mostly Spain, and it was mostly the monarchy, and most of these executions were carried out by the Spanish state rather than right. the, the Inquisition. Yeah, it's kind of tricky wording, though, you know. It is. I mean, the 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 Pope was definitely involved. He gave his blessing at the time to yeah. Ferdinand and Isabella to carry this out, even though he came to regret it later. But they were saying that he came to regret it because he gave away so much power. Because they said, "Can we have an Inquisition here in Spain?" 
And he said, I don't know. And they said, hey, you know those Spanish troops that are protecting you from Turkey right now in yeah. Rome? How about we recall them home? And he said, yeah, why don't you have an inquisition? Yeah. Uh, and by the way, you don't have to answer to me. Just go ahead and have your inquisition. And years later, he's like, man, that was probably not a good idea because Pope John Paul II is going to have to apologize twice for this. Right. And plus, what's the difference in uh, executing someone yourself at the end of a tribunal and saying, well, we're not going to do it, but if someone else happened to, right. after we set them into the street, it's not, you know, on our watch. And not even, like, set them into the street. Like, they're being killed because we tried them, because they weren't Catholic enough. Yeah. So, but yes, I, I think it is, this is a really great illustration of that history's never black and white. Right. And it can very easily become conflated. And sure. even still today, like, we don't necessarily know what happened. And even if we do know what happened from this, this symposium on the Inquisition, not everybody believes it, you know? Yeah. Well, we got some good comedy out of it from Mel Brooks and Monty Python years later. We sure did. Tragedy plus time. Yeah. Uh, let's see. You got anything else? I do not, sir. If you want to learn more about the Inquisition, you can type that word into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, and it will bring up this article. And uh, since you said search bar, get this, everybody. It's time for... All right, so as most of you know, this is a time when we thank people for sending us nice things. Yep. From records and books to Christmas cards and cookies. Uh-huh. Uh, so let's get this going here. Uh, I've got some uh, CDs for you and vinyl albums even. Yeah. Uh, Baby and the Nobody sent us shirts and CDs. Woo! Van Nostrand. Our uh, buddy Gentry uh, Colello sent us a vinyl LP and some t-shirts for her band, Land of Vandals. Nice. Yeah, we got those. It's good stuff. Uh, Matt Robb from uh, the School on Wheels team sent us a nice Christmas card. Thank you for that. Yeah, and since we're on Christmas cards, uh, Amy... And that is with an I-E-E, Meyer, from Sellersburg, Indiana, sent us a nice Christmas card. Yeah, and are we saying Matt Rob or Rab? Well... Two A's. I call them Matt Broccoli Rob <laughs> in mine, so I'm going to say Rob. Okay. Stacy uh, Wable sent us some children's books. Rudy's Incredible Kidney Machine and Rudy Gets a Transplant. So there's a children's book for everything, and this one yeah. covers kidney transplants. It's pretty That's awesome. Uh, our pals at Coed, the Cooperative for Education, who uh, help fund education for kids in Guatemala, who we're very fond of, they sent us a nice Christmas card. So thanks, guys. Uh, we got some knit socks from Jennifer Beaver that are very warm mm-hmm. and uh, colorful, which I know you like. Yep. Uh, we got a Christmas card from Heather from Montana. Thank you. Uh, we got a postcard from Susanna Danner. Thank you for that. Uh, Lauren Coyne also sent us a Christmas card. Um, and you can watch my uh, dessert junkie on YouTube, and that's her YouTube show. Yeah. Um, we got three, not one, not two, but three volumes of short documentaries from Robin Canfield from Actuality Media, which supports a documentary study abroad program, which is pretty awesome. So all of you documentarians out there, check that out, Actuality Media. Very cool. Uh, thank you, Charles Shell, for sending us uh, custom Stuff You Should Know necklace. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, Ashley Murphy. For the Japanese hero masks and the nice letter that she sent. Yeah, that was nice. Those are great. Uh, thank you very much to Mona Collantine and Grandma Collantine and the whole Collantine family <laughs> for sending us the big old tin of Christmas cookies again this year. Thank you, Ramona. She's one of our local fans, and she's awesome. Uh, although her boyfriend, I don't think, helps. So, Nathan, unless you make cookies for us, 
I won't mention you again. <laughs> Although he might have helped. Uh, Catherine Harmon uh, Courage sent us uh, the book Octopus. And that's with an exclamation point because mm-hmm. she knows that we love the octopus. Yes. And our buddy uh, Aaron ACZZ Coop Cooper, who uh, again this year took some of his best images of us photoshopped into weird situations. Uh, and made uh, hard posters for us, which are awesome. So thanks, Coop. We appreciate them, as always. You're the best. Uh, Uncle John's Bathroom Reader, they always send us great stuff to oh, our yeah. friends. Uh, they send us the books Weird Inventions and Weird Canada. Yep. And if you're Canadian, you need to get Weird Canada. Yeah. And if you're not Canadian, you should get it, too. They sent us a couple other ones, too, that I got. Oh, yeah? Yeah, you can follow them on Twitter. Go to their website, Uncle John's Bathroom Reader. They are wonderful. Uh, Mark Palm of Vancouver, B.C. sent us a 7-inch of his band Super Crush. That's pretty great. A 7-inch is a record, by the way, for those of you not in the know. Yeah. Uh, uh, we got two albums from Ghosts of Sailors at Sea. We got The, St- the Skeleton Coast and a single. So thanks for that. Uh, Nicole uh, Wingett sent us wristbands from her obstacle course racing team, the Corn Fed Spartans. Uh, let's see. Vivian Chen in Korea Sent us Shawley's Fantasy 2014 calendars, some K-pop anime. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that stuff. Uh, Paul sent us a lot of German cookies, like so many that the entire office couldn't eat them all. Yeah. Uh, and the DVD, Michael Moore Hates America. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got, also got some sweet treats from uh, Rene uh, Chavez, Chavez, C-H-A-V-E-S, Chaves. <laughs> I'm going to say Chavez. All right. Uh, Rachel Ray Rose of Rose Sign Language Interpreting Company sent us some homemade grape jelly and pens. Oh, yeah. I had some of that the other day. Yeah. Delicious. Yes. Uh, Bob Partridge sent us an Alan Turing postcard from the London Science Museum. Neat. So that was on point and pretty cool. Yeah. I got a couple more. You got some more? I have one more. So you go ahead. Uh, Hillary Lozar, super fan, sent us... Flathead Lake Cheese. Yeah, and by the way, I have since eaten all of it since the last time we mentioned yeah. it on the podcast. It was awesome. She also sent uh, you, me, and Emily some earrings, which is very nice. Yes, it was nice. Um, and then uh, Marcus, who sent us Poppin' Shots. Thanks for those. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can check those out online. And uh, my last one, uh, Debbie from Hammer Press sent us a goodie bag. Uh, they are a letterpress and design company from Kansas City, Missouri. Mm-hmm. And she sent us all sorts of cool, cool stuff, like hand-printed cards and like cool pencils and erasers. And uh, so, support Hammer Press and Letterpress designers. It's a pretty cool thing for sure. So, thanks everybody. Thanks everybody. We appreciate it. Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to you, and uh, thanks the other 364 days of the year for all of the nice gifts. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me and Chuck to talk to us, to send us a gift for whatever reason. You can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at Discovery.com. And as always, you can hang out with us at our cute little home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. With over 100,000 titles to choose from, Audible.com is a leading provider of downloadable digital audiobooks and spoken word entertainment. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash no stuff, K-N-O-W-S-T-U-F-F, to get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today.